Hello and welcome to another episode of the Aptcast, where iron sharpens iron and we poke each other with the pointy ends. I'm your host, Wes, with a special episode today. Got an opportunity to talk with an old friend of mine about a host of issues ranging from POTUS to the pandemic, uh, evangelism to activism. I think you will be uh, very encouraged by this. Um, Some technical issues limited the early part of our conversation, but we'll pick up uh, about 20 minutes in where we were at our second prepared question each. So without further ado, uh, here is myself and Ken Tate having a conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Look down here because that's where the camera is. All right. So my question number two to you is, um, you know what? I'll eliminate the names of the groups. That way it's, it's more uh, adequate to where we are now. But since a- advocates are supporting institutional changes, you know, institutional changes around police and criminal justice reform. Uh, My question is, what government programs or agency at any level, so international, federal, state, local, whatever, uh, what programs or agencies there have demonstrated the success that would warrant confidence in such changes moving forward? That's going to be part one. So I honestly cannot think of one group. Um, I know that within local police departments and municipalities that they have internal affairs, uh, that may be able to take on the additional workload, but they're of course gonna need additional funding to make that possible. But I think it's going to start with everyday citizens first Mm -hmm. caring and and taking notice, much like the video I shared a few days ago um, of what I believe was a Houston police officer or police officers making an arrest and the community got involved and they actually, black people actually helped a white or white officers um, make, a, a, make a successful arrest of a, of a robbery suspect. And it, to me, that video was just absolutely perfect because it showed um, that not all black people are saying, hey, don't arrest us. What we're saying is, please don't hurt and or injure and or kill us during the arrest. And those uh, those black citizens were able to they actually got on the ground and laid next to the suspect and talked him through and calmed him down and and convinced him uh, to accept the fact that he was being arrested and placed his hands behind his back so that the officers could complete their collar. Um, but to make sure I answer the question, I don't think that there is an organization outside of internal affairs that exists today that can actually um, facilitate the request. Well, OK, so. First, the example that you used, was that the one where the guy was getting uh, what, what was on the ground kind of in the doorway? That's and, it. That's yeah. It. Okay. So I've seen that video. So I, I don't mean specifically uh, that would help uh, the requests and the goals of police reform and criminal justice reform. I just mean in general, what government agencies in their own application have the success that would lead us to believe that governmental changes in police or criminal justice reform would have the desired effect. Because it's my position, as I said in, in, in our last discussion before the feed cut, the government sucks at everything. So yeah. I think of things like education. I think of things like um, um, uh, even, even civil rights with various uh, things that have happened uh, across the board. I mean, Dred Scott was a Supreme Court decision. That was government. Um, you know, um, 
Jim Crow laws were part of the government. So there's different things that the government has done. Uh, and even now, when the government tries to do something like saving for retirement, Social Security, that sucks too. So what is it, it uh, what part of government has had a level of success that would lead us to trust government with police reform, criminal justice reform, in, in your mind? Again, can't think of single one. Okay. Um, the, the, the structure does not currently exist. Had the structure currently exist, in my opinion, we wouldn't be here screaming now saying um, equal rights or pointing out that Black Lives Matter just as much right. as someone of another race. Um, the, the structure just, it, it just doesn't exist. And I know that you don't agree with larger government. And to some extent, I agree with you. Um, and that's why I believe it would start first on the local level. That includes making sure that your elected officials are where they should be in office and that they are hearing your concerns as a citizen or as a body of citizens to ensure that your police, uh, your police captain or chief or whomever, whatever title you're using, that you ensure that your officers receive the proper training and that your officers also feel confident and trustworthy enough to come back and share something when they see something inappropriate. Um, in, in, a, in a perfect world, you'd have a watchdog organization, but creating a watchdog organization only grows the government. And that's not right. what so, we need. So something like IA, but not under the, the law enforcement umbrella. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that, that's, where, that's why I use the example of Houston, because in my opinion, and I could be wrong, that arrest was only successful because you had concerned everyday citizens that were there not to just protect the black person that was being arrested, but they honestly were ensuring that the white officers were protected as well. They made sure that the suspect had no weapons on him, that he had no intentions to harm the officer nor himself. They, community policing is something I think will help with this problem. And in order for the community to take a more aggressive, well, actually I don't want to use aggressive, for them to take a more active step or role in this process, they have to be comfortable with the people that are serving as their law enforcement officers in their community. And that that as simple as getting to know your officer that patrols your area. For example, I know I'm, I'm out in the county. I know Deputy McClinton. I've actually met his mother. I know he patrols my area. I know I can contact him. And that makes me more comfortable in my area. Now, as far as why or how I know him, not important, but right. I can see it easily being, because I live I live in an unincorporated area of Jefferson County. I only know one sheriff deputy that patrols my area. If I get in my car right now and take out on a road, I'm probably going to pass three or more of them. I don't know who they are. Yes, I know that they're a, a form of law enforcement. I don't know them on a personal level. They don't know me. They don't know that I may roll down the street listening to gangster rap, but I'm not going to hurt a fly. So when they approach me, they're, they're not going to know, you know, what they're approaching. Um, for that reason or to that point, I have a, a separate vehicle that I'm planning to thug out, for lack of better terms. I'm talking about I'm getting it painted jet black. It already has illegal tint on it, um, but I have corrective lenses, so I need that. Um, it's going to have gems. It's going to have some bass in it. And, I, and I, I've had friends... <laughs> I have friends that are trying to talk me out of it because they don't they they feel that by doing that I will make myself a target. 
who mm-hmm. I feel comfortable in my community and I feel comfortable with law enforcement enough that I can I can justify my actions or my behavior. Um, that was a long answer to your question. I just just to circle back to make sure that everyone on the podcast and the, the video here uh, here's my answer. Um, I don't think the organization or an organization that ex- uh, that exists today could facilitate the request. I think it's going to come from local citizens. I think we can find some solid agreement there. So good deal. All right. So you're up. Question number three. Question number three. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I think you technically answered question number three. Oh, no, no, you didn't. No, no, no. no. We, 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 we touched on it, but we didn't actually go into it. We did. So question number three for Wes. Oh, come on. Notifications. All right. So on a scale of one to five, <laughs> with five being the best, how would you rate POTUS handling of the following areas? Uh, we'll go ahead and do number one first, the economy. And, I, and I'd like to answer as well. Um, so we'll go ahead and do A, our, our number one economy. So how do you think that POTUS is doing? So uh, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that I'm limited to positive numbers. I would really like to have negatives as an option. That said, um, so you ask for three specific areas. So I could be a jerk and just go, you know, well, let's uh, just focus on three, two, right one, or you know, something like that. Yeah. But I, I'll, I'll give a little insight into kind of my mind. The, the way I approach this question is, uh, if we're looking at how he's handling it from a policy perspective, generally speaking, I think with all three of them, it would be better than how he's addressing it in a social media environment. <clears throat> Because if I, I truly believe right now, if he had not had a Twitter, this entire uh, administration, he'd be doing a lot better than he is now. And that's why I said in the first video, just shut up until November. No disrespect to the, uh, to the president, but dadgummit, close your Twitter. Somebody needs to create a, a fake Twitter account, put it on his phone so he's tweeting to nothing but bots who are going to echo and like what he says. Yeah. It is insane. I mean, in in some respects, yes. In in other respects, I think it's doing more to hurt um, his own policy goals. Yes. And that's why. Yeah, as well as the political discord. Yes. um, Both in the government and at large, because I can't tell you how many times. I've had discussions with, with you or, or somebody else who has brought up something he said on Twitter. Anytime I hear Trump and Twitter, my eyes roll and I go, I, I just, you're right. Whatever, whatever you're saying about his Twitter, I'm going to agree with you because it is awful. <laughs> just full stop. That said, um, as far as the economy goes, uh, oh, and, and also I think we have to balance it with before Corona and mm-hmm. since Corona. So with the economy, if you had asked me this question, middle of February, around the State of the Union address, mm-hmm. I would have been four, maybe five. Um, and, and I was, even as late as March, openly considering voting for him. For those who don't know, I didn't vote for him in 2016. I was adamantly opposed to him. But at that point, I was kind of coming around because there were some things that he was doing that 
you know, ignoring the media uh, from a policy perspective, and I don't and I didn't follow him on Twitter. I was okay with, and the economy was. But everybody agrees that was his biggest strength. So I would say pre-corona, definitely a, a four. I'll go that. Since then, with what he's done and what the government as a whole has done with the stimulus, with all kinds of different shutdowns and things like that, that he has perpetuated. Because I'm not going to say that it's all his fault, but like it or not, he is seen as a figurehead for a lot of this. Uh, I'd give him a two since. I mean, we're, we're not as bad as other countries are post-corona, but we're not as good as I think we could be. So I give him a three overall. Um, as far as... Oh, go ahead. All right. I dissect each of these as we go. So I thank you for drawing the distinction of of pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, I personally would have to give him a two. Um, In actuality, I want to give him a one, but I'm going to give him a two. And I'm going to draw a parallels to why I feel that way. Um, As a Birmingham native and someone that likes uh, political science, Donald Trump's handling of the economy to me, it's much like Richard Scrooge's handling of their 10K for Health South. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, it Yes, on paper, dude, you're killing it. But the moment someone checks your math, and I love Richard Scrooge, uh, don't get me wrong, um, he follows me on all of my social media. Um, I, I'm a fan of your work. <laughs> and both I'm of sure he's watching this right now. <laughs> And both the good and the bad. I am. I'm. I'm. I'm really. I'm a fan. Uh, someone that's smart enough to cook the books in such a manner. Good job. Um, but, <laughs> You're um, not even mad. You're impressed. I, I really am. <laughs> I was in B school. I was always that kid that when we got an assignment, I immediately asked the teacher, "Can I make my business fail?" Because I I, I find more excitement in mis- seeing how far you can mishandle the books, especially when you're given an assignment that says provide a five-year uh, projection for your business. Yeah. If I intentionally mishandle the business, how far can I get in this five years before I'm in handcuffs? Um, oh, but wow. that, that, that's, that's why, that's why, in my opinion, Trump gets a two instead of a one. Um, okay. The, the stock market, as, as we've learned, or as we should know as adults, is very fickle. Um, and for it to be as strong as it was um, during his, uh, the earlier part of this year, um, hats off to him. Um, now, I won't say post-COVID because we're still in the middle of it. Um, right. But since COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Away from the COVID. Um, I still think that there is work that needs to be done. But I think at this point, the economy is no, the, the economy can't be blamed on him solely. Um, right. Because there are a lot of jobs that are looking for loopholes. Um, I know of a few institutions that took this as an opportunity to trim some fat off of their uh, off of their uh, their salary budgets. Um, I, I myself, I've, I've lost a, a very well paying job um, prior to even losing that job. We received an email letting us know that our, our bonus checks would not be paid out. Our bonus checks had nothing to do with COVID. Our bonus checks were for the, the fourth quarter of 2019. Mm-hmm. So that money should have already been earned or accrued and awaiting payout. Um, in February. 
but we were quickly told that, you know, due to coronavirus, we're not going to be paying out bonuses. And I think that is that's stifling the economy uh, by cutting off bonuses or terminating employment altogether. I think that that is having a heavier impact on the economy than Trump could ever dream. Um, so I, I'll have to leave him uh, not applicable uh, for my... <laughs> NA. Yeah, just put an NA there because I don't think that this you can blame this part of the economy solely on him. Yeah. Um, so the next part of the three-part question, sorry for it being such a long question, um, is actually has to do with civic slash race relations. And you actually kind of hit on it already by talking about his Twitter. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll give you that opportunity on a scale of one to five, with five being the best. Yeah, and, and again, I, I think policy-wise... You know, I, I hear the, the accusation that Trump's uh, a racist, but because of some of the language that he uses. And, and, and I get that. Policy-wise, though, I, I don't see it. Um, you know, the, the was it the uh, sentence he commuted? Um, and I forget the woman's name, uh, who had been a nonviolent drug offender that uh, he basically freed from prison. Um, and different things like that. Um, but you don't hear about those as much. What you do hear about a lot is uh, the supposed allegation during Charlottesville that he said that they were good people on both sides, implying that, you know, white supremacists were just as good as the people protesting it, which I put that on the media, not so much on him, because in that same paragraph or maybe even that same sentence, he's announced white supremacy or white supremacists. So when it comes to his actual words, um, I look at Twitter and I go, dude, that is awful. Stop. Stop. Don't do it. But he doesn't listen to me. It's like the refs on, on uh, TV when I'm watching football. Don't throw the flag. They, they don't hear me. And, and neither does Trump. So it's, uh, it's one of those where I, I would say civic, civic and race relations in general, I'd just go with two, just across the board. Uh, I, I think he has done nothing to help, but he also didn't come into a situation that was actually beneficial in, in that. Like he, he, didn't, he didn't come into a five and make it a two. Yeah. Like he came into more of a two and a half or a three and just moved us further down. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's probably where I would go with that. Uh, you you want to answer this question too, since you did the last one? My answer is is a one. Um, yeah, so here, here to support my, my response, I agree with you. Um, Policy-wise, he may not have done anything that can be destructive to uh, 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 the African-American community, but he has done things to destruct other communities, such as the Hispanic population or the Middle East population. And that has actually right. resulted in executive orders or policies being shifted, changed, even if the Supreme Court comes back and says, hey, you actually can't do that. Um, right. But here's the thing that I, I want more people to understand and to and to see. Um, as an African-American male in the South, I have lineage that is also African-American. And I've had discussions with them through, through various times and various decades because I'm getting older. Um, I even had to interview uh, uh, our oldest family member uh, back when I was in the seventh grade for a class project. And in speaking to them, and I'm sure that other people of color have experienced this, 
you learn about dog whistle. You learn about the person that says, well, he's a good boy. Well, yeah, that sounds harmless on the surface. However, the connotation that comes with the statement, yeah. it, it does breed back to racism. Now, do I believe, honestly, that Donald Trump is a racist? Shocker. I don't think he's a racist. I think that Donald Trump is a classist. And I think that once more poorer white people um, experience it, they will be more supportive of getting him out of office. Um, and you're talking to someone who I really don't like Joe Biden. He's got my vote only because he's going against Trump. So he, he secured my vote. Um, well, also, if you if you don't know if you're going to vote for Trump or Biden or not, you're not really black. That's what I heard. Yeah. So I, I've, I've also I've even heard that about <laughs> the, the whole Goya thing uh, uh, with the Goya food products. Oh, it, yeah, that was fun, too. Wes, you 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 know this, and, and you've actually seen me have this argument with a uh, with a fellow black person before, back in our stagecoach days. My vote will never belong to one particular party. My yeah. vote will ne- I can't I can't I have too much going on in my life, and I want too much from life to say blindly that I'll be voting for one particular person. Yeah, I and for that reason, I I just I hate that that is the world that we live in. I, I, for a fact, I know people that are ignorant to political races. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually mean racist, not racist with a T. Um, racist, ending in an S. Um, I know people that when they go to their poll, if they go to their poll, they're going to simply check the Democratic ticket. Oh, yeah, we've got straight party uh, ballots here in Alabama, and yeah. I'd, I'd say probably more than fifty percent of people just check the straight ticket and move on. That that's that's to me that is dangerous. No matter what yeah. side you're on, if you're yeah. a Republican or a Democrat, I would hope that you never, um, unless you truly align with with that entire party, you would never just select that one party. Yeah. Um, I myself, I like to consider myself a Rhino Republican, and I know that's. That's blasphemy as a black man in the South. Um, but if you've never heard the term a rhino Republican, Republican in name only. I yeah. primarily do support Democratic candidates, but there are also some Republican candidates that views align with me. Um, <laughs> you can consider me a liberal conservative or a conservative liberal, whatever you want to, to call yeah. me justified in your mind. But I just I can't vote blindly for one particular party. I can't. Yeah. I, I, I just, and to the point that if anyone is about to vote blindly and you need additional information, usually around the time when debates are taking place, especially uh, on, on national uh, elections, I actually do um, different videos to discuss what's being said and what's actually being said. Um, uh, nice. I, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say, let's put us on the hook for if there is actually a debate between Biden and Trump, um, we should do one of these and, okay. and just kind of compare and contrast and see how, uh, just have a conversation around the debate. Now, I, I do have to tell you this. Mine is more from our, our humor stance. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's all political theater. It, because the way it doesn't know that by now. Exactly. Pay attention. It's, it's a show. And yeah. Until you understand, ooh, I hate to say it this way, but a, a debate to me is like a magic show. Who can I distract the best 
and who can I distract the longest? One debate, I was talking to someone about Trump, and I believe it was the, the, the last debate between him and uh, Hillary, um, and people were so shocked that I was explaining like his color palette. They didn't fully understand it. And as a graduate of HBCU, we learned about that. Mm -hmm. I can tell a lot about what you're wanting, what you're intending to convey based on what you wear to your debate. Watch um, him come out with an American flag tie. Of, of course, <laughs> um, and a pen, because you got to have the, you got to have the matching accessories. Uh, even the color of the suit. Uh, that again is why so many people were upset years ago when Obama wore a tan suit. Um, to a colorblind yeah, person, it was just a suit. But to people that are not colorblind, they were able to draw and create their own narrative based on the color of his, of his suit. Of a suit. That's so stupid. There were so many other reasons not to like Barack Obama than his color suit. Sure. <laughs> there are also plenty of reasons to like him besides the color of his suit. I love I, I, I'll, I, I'll tell you, um, I, I'm, I am ideologically opposed to a lot of what Obama had to say, but I cannot recall a single politician um, or any public figure who had his ability to communicate from a podium in my lifetime. Not even I, I've, I've seen, not even Clinton. No, I'd, I'd put him above Clinton. I, and I've seen some, Reagan was technically in my lifetime too. I've seen some Reagan speeches. No one had the command of an audience like Obama did. Yeah. A Trump, I mean, Trump can't touch Obama when it comes to, to that sort of thing. So mad respect for uh, Obama's ability to orate but your question is not about Obama. It's not about the last POTUS. It's about the current POTUS. And your third category is probably the easiest one to answer. So the third one is simply his ability to work across the aisle. Because a lot of yeah. people think that that's what, that's what you do on that particular level is you work together as a group. Yeah, no. So. I, I've, I, I've really stopped having that expectation of <laughs> really anybody at this point. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say just out, out the gate a one because similar to the civic and race relations, Trump inherited a poor situation and made it worse. Really, when it comes to working across the aisle, he came in at a one and he's done absolutely nothing to make it better. And since you said between one and five, I can't go lower than a one. So I'm just going to stick at the one where we were. But it's it, it's an encapsulation of why I think he has had such a failure of a presidency. Um, when you look at some of the biggest reasons that, that I could gather uh, that people voted for him, besides he wasn't Hillary, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think that um, he was voted for. One big reason was the wall. Mm -hmm. There's no wall. He was voted to defund Planned Parenthood and put in uh, Supreme Court justices that would uh, ultimately overturn Roe v. Wade. How's that working for you?
have followed us now to our third live feed. Thank you for persevering with us, uh, especially to those of the church. Perseverance of the saints. That's what I like to see. That's a little Calvinist shout out to my folks there. All right. So we kind of finished up where I was answering the last bit of 3C, working across the aisle. Um, I said Trump came in and there was a one that made it any better. So we kept it as a one and we will just go ahead and leave it at that. Uh, if anybody wants to elaborate or wants me to elaborate more than I did when the feed cut, we'll uh, open it up to questions for that. So I guess um, it's my turn to ask you question number three, right? That's correct. And then we got a few uh, back pocket questions to, to break out on each other. So uh, in our last conversation, you introduced me to a group called Alabama Rally Against Injustice. So for one shout out to them. Uh, local group. Um, they had a July event a couple weeks ago uh, featuring, albeit a small part, uh, but a segment hosted by a rep from uh, the Incobra, uh, which is a group that specifically is advocating for reparations. I'm not going to get into the group as a whole because I don't know how much you or our viewers know about that. But my question is, since reparations has become a growing part of this reconciliation discussion, um, what part do you believe that they should play, if any, and uh, what would reparations look like? How would they be administered? So I actually support reparations. Okay. How okay. I support reparations may not align with people that share the same skin tone as me. Um, because of the the enormous amount that, in my opinion, would be due to African Americans and their their offspring. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think reparations, I think something as simple as, unfortunately, uh, to make it easier, something like a stimulus check. I'll be honest. Um, the amount, I believe, the last time that I've heard an amount from a reputable source, it was a six-figure amount for every American, every African-American um, walking the earth in within the United States or has a, a United States citizenship. Um, mm-hmm. Do I think that that is a good idea? Unfortunately, I do not. Here's why. We, as African-Americans, may not make all of us, I'm not going to say all of us, just a, 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 a significant portion of us have not been taught about financial literacy or we've not learned about it within our own communities enough to have a, a, a significant impact um, with those funds. Um, very similar to how Dave Chappelle made a, um, a skit before uh, when reparations were paid out and you had tons of African-Americans within the skit uh, that made frivolous purchases and yeah. that's my that's my only fear at this point about reparations. Do I think that they are due to us? Yes. Do I think that we would do good with them as a whole? It's a it's a flip of a coin. Um, and I hmm. here's where it's interesting to be both a African an African and an American. Um, my American side feels like if we were to do reparations, that it could put 
the U.S. into mm-hmm. such a spiral of debt that we may never recover. Right. Um, but my African side is run me my chick real fast, run me my money. Um, but I think it, I think it, it will be an interesting discussion. Do I think that it will actually pay it out? No, I don't. Um, I don't. I'd like to know where the supporters of reparation uh, or uh, of reparations were when Obama were, uh, was in office and we controlled all three branches of the government. Um, mm-hmm. Why was that not a discussion that we had at that particular point? Um, I just don't see reparations happening. I support it, um, even if it will be to our detriment. I support it, um, but I don't see I don't see it happening. Now, you had a second part to your question. What was the last part of your question? I believe it was, you asked how it would look. Uh, yeah, yeah. How, how would they be administered? Because uh, as you've outlined it, uh, some parts of reparations, or at least a particular application of reparations, you yourself would believe to be uh, potentially detrimental. Mm-hmm. So what, what would that look like maybe so that it's not detrimental? So it would be it would have to be in a non cash form, uh, whether that be uh, issuing uh, deeds to land or to chattel to borrow legal terminology, um, not cattle, but chattel, uh, giving us physical possessions that we can then make a decision whether we want to retain a possession or if we want to liquidate um, the possession. Uh, That is how I think that it would be done or could be done. But here's here's the here's the scary thing about my government. And notice I say my government, not the government. Um, The scary thing is the way that that would be done based on not to do a shout out, but based Mm -hmm. on this excellent book that I've been reading called The Color of Law. The way that it would be done is they would create segregated areas to disperse the chattel. Um, That would be something as simple as building an all African-American neighborhood and then just handing the keys over to various members of the community, that the, the, the byproduct of that is, yes, you get a lot of black home ownership and you get a lot of people that suddenly have equity and have a stake in their community. But the downside to that is you get a naturalized form of segregation. I was about um, to say, it sounds a whole lot like setting up intentional ghettos. Exactly. Um, yeah. Which, again, this wonderful book, dives into it and I encourage all a little bit in front of your face so we can see the oh wow you just all disappeared (laughs) yeah like the youtubers do um but I encourage everyone no matter your race to learn more about embedded racism is a term that I go with learn about how a decision as far as you being able to financially afford something Mm -hmm. and being told, told no you can't have it versus being told, no, you can't have it because you are of a certain skin tone. Um, because there are things that were set up and established long before that we can't benefit from, um, even okay. if you're financially able. Um, so I think that that form of reparation could lead to unintentional or intentional, um, depending on who administers it, uh, segregation. You're gonna have, you know, you have a house maybe big and beautiful, it may be wonderful, but if if you're not actually creating a melting pot in that area, what benefit are you actually seeing? You're creating a separate but equal situation, which is what we're trying to do. 
yeah. Could you imagine, you know, Birmingham, because we were both uh, Birmingham natives, uh, could you imagine two Highway 280s? It's still separate, unfortunately, you know, and you're still going to have people that are going to to find a way to, to bolster that segregation, whether it be by business placement or or what have you, because I, for the life of me, still can't figure out why there's not a church's chicken on Highway 280. I, I can't figure it out. Um, it's not part of their business model. Yeah, and that's that's the part that that's one of the forms of of embedded racism. That that's I know plenty of white people that like chicken. I know plenty, but you will not see a church's chicken on Highway 280. Or a they, they closed the Zaxby's. <laughs> on two eight, they, they closed the Guthrie's too. Closed the Guthrie's. Um, I have, well, I have a, a chicken close restaurants family. outside of Chick Fil A just don't seem to be very long lasting. Yeah, that's true, and it's and it's crazy because I know tons tons of people that are not persons of colors uh, of color or persons of colors color <laughs> uh, because I immediately thought of of an Indian family that lives on on two eighty in a in a private subdivision and they um they enjoy some wings plus and some wing out. Um, but it seems like they're only able, I know, right? It seems like they're only able to enjoy that particular restaurant when they are around myself or others with a similar skin complexion. Yeah. They're, they're very well to do. Um, this particular family, the, uh, the husband has actually even contacted um, the owner of Wings Plus before about a franchise. Um, but they they just didn't see how it could be feasible. Um, there was a wing out location that was open on 280 in the old Joe's Crab Shack. Um, yeah. Oh, it's closed now. It's closed. Uh, Great was being the opposite word there. It was prominent location, easy access in and out of the business. Great food. Okay. Great food. Yeah. And you ask yourself, well, why didn't it succeed? Did it not succeed because the owner of that establishment was African American? Did it not succeed because people in that particular community don't eat chicken? Uh, there, probably not. There's a ton of a ton of things that you can answer there. They also had uh, vegan options, um, but there's a, there's a ton of things there uh, that make having a a, a a business of that nature um, not solvent in that area. But yeah. so things like that 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 again that's one of the things that I learned. Hate to go back to that book, but the color of law. They discuss, and it's 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 really about placement. It really has little to nothing to do with the actual people that live in that community. And that again, just to tie that, that again is why mm-hmm. I don't believe that reparations will be beneficial because you're just going to end up with separate but equal. Do I want reparations? Hey, yes, I do. I won't curse because I know that. So, we have- so, so you want intentional policies that will very likely do more damage than good? No, I want intentional policies that would help to level the playing field for right. others in my community. Um, okay. I'm still having trouble with believing that slave owners received reparations when slavery ended. I still can't believe that that was an option that was paid out and afforded to those slave owners. Yep. Uh, they lost their workforce. I can't believe how quickly Congress was able to um, to resolve um, the plight of the slave owner. Oh, that sounds like a good book title. The plight of the, the slave. Plight owner. of the slave owner. Yeah. You should write that book, not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, is, is interesting when you discuss reparations. 
So if, if the feed's still going after we finish through our questions, I've actually got kind of bouncing around in my head a uh, potential model for reparations that might work and oh, uh, be beneficial. But I want to get through the questions. I, I, I asked you the question you answered. I want to be able to get through the ones that we've got for each other first. Mm-hmm. If we have time, I, I want to be able to circle around. Otherwise, you know, we can always do this again when yeah. you're not cooperating. Yeah, as long as all the technology is on our side. Yeah. So definitely. we'll definitely circle back to your question or, or to your possible solution for reparations. But now we'll go ahead and go to my next question is, yep. and, and, and this is a loaded question, so it may burn some time. So feel free, you know, to just cut yourself off. Yep. Um, in your opinion, what do you think we got right and what do we get wrong with the 13th Amendment? All right. So the 13th Amendment, I had to go back and look because, you know, it's been 20 years since I've been in high school and had to talk about civics. Um, and interestingly enough, it was you asking me this question that connected the dots. About a week or so ago, I saw the documentary on Netflix called The 13th or 13th. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole time I'm watching it going, I don't understand why I got this title. Mm-hmm. It clicked when you asked the Oh, okay. I get it now. So um, I, I think two major things that we got right, I say we, they got right with the 13th Amendment. No, One, no, you're a U.S. citizen. Include yourself. Uh, yeah, I know, but I was, I was not there. I did not uh, have an opportunity to vote for it. I, w- I did not have uh, any influence on its passage. Uh, so I'm perfectly willing to look at past generations and, and say they. But yeah, it is part of our heritage. So um, with, with that regard, one, it freed the slaves. It actually enshrined in the Constitution freedom for the slaves. So it uh, took care of that, at least that one aspect. It's not all-encompassing. But another thing I think that it did really well and uh, something that I, I really dislike about a lot of government acts and bills and laws that get passed at various levels is this amendment, like most of the amendments, are very brief. Right? It's not a thousand-page you know, dissertation and all of this kind of um, you know, double-speak and, and politics. It just plain and simple lays out freedom for the slaves. Uh, and the things that culturally, societally, and politically that needed to be worked out, it didn't address, but it didn't need to. Like, it took that step, it enshrined it as an amendment, and and, uh, opened the door for the rest. Now, if memory serves correctly, there were um, a couple of other amendments that followed closely behind, Mm. but this one was... Uh, the Reconstruction Amendments uh, after the Civil War. This is uh, the 13th, the only one that was actually signed by a president. Lincoln actually signed this one himself, uh, which I think helps echo, even though his pre- or early Civil War views were not leaning towards the war is a way to end slavery. It showed his personal views towards slavery is the evil that it was uh, in uh, America at the time. And so kind of put his stamp on it like this is, is good. Mm-hmm. And um, 
then the other two, the 14th and the 15th, uh, were passed after he was assassinated. Uh, so I think this was a step in the right direction. Uh, it was not all the way where it needed to be. And I think reparations would have best been handed out in the decades after the Civil War ended. Yeah. Because yes. that would have, that from, again, from a biblical standpoint, we haven't had a whole lot of uh, discussion about that, but from a biblical standpoint, justice, when there is a crime, means restitution. So for everyone who had um, lost, uh, whether it was lost freedom, lost wages, lost uh, potential, whatever the case is, through slavery, those who were responsible for it should have bared the brunt of rest, rest, re, mm, the for? giving restitution to them. Mm -hmm. right? And so at that point, we wouldn't have the discussion we have now where people go, well, I wasn't a slaveholder. Well, I wasn't a slave. At that point, that decision's mute. You had, you had slaves and you had slaveholders. Mm -hmm. So you could have had a direct reparation given restitution made to them and had that been done appropriately at that time, we could be living in a, uh, and I, I would argue we would be living in a completely different America now. We would, we would. At this point, that money hopefully would have been able to recycle this way through our community for generations uh, yeah. in an effort to create generational wealth. We had a discussion during, during one of the first videos we did um, weeks ago um, where we talked about my experience buying a house yeah. and not being able to reach out to a family member. Well, had reparations occurred in the appropriate era, that problem may not have existed for me. Had yeah. my family, of course, uh, just assuming the best, had made the right decisions back then with their newfound um, wealth, mm -hmm. it would have been an all the more easier process for me. Um, that, yeah. that goes to education, all kind of things, uh, because as you as you mentioned earlier, the school system, the public school system, is failing our, our kids. Um, it also failed me. Um, there was a, a point um, when I was graduating with my first degree. My mother shared an experience um, where my second grade, second or either second or third grade teacher, probably second grade teacher, actually wanted to put me in special needs classes, um, but my mother had enough fourth uh, forthright to pull me from that school in its entirety. And she took me to a smaller elementary school. Um, and, I, and I say pull, but we actually moved. It just happened to coincide, uh, but we moved. And when I, when I went to the new smaller school, Miss Henderson, I'll never figure her name because she was my first Caucasian teacher. Um, she actually called my mother in front of me and told my mother, I don't even think my mother knew that I was right there when she called her, but she actually told her, there's nothing wrong with Kenneth, ma'am. He's simply bored. Um, when I get bored, I get destructive. Um, yeah. Idle hands. Um, True. I was bored in a, in a large classroom environment, so I became destructive and did not do my work. Um, that continued to follow me all the way into high school. Um, I'll never forget. Um, I actually took over uh, my ninth grade Algebra 1 class, me and another, another student. Um, I'll just say her first name. Her first name is Patricia. Um, but she's actually in the process of becoming a, a, a veterinarian right now. But we still joke about it to this day. We were bored and we already knew the material. I don't even know how either of us knew the material because it was algebra one other than pre-algebra. But yeah. we took over the class to the point that teacher, Ms. Rhymes, who's no longer employed by Birmingham City Schools, 
um, we, um, <laughs> we took over the class and she just gave us the book and told us to teach. It was fun. Yeah. So remember earlier when I said the government sucks at everything, including education? Yeah. Just going to say that was that was a government school, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, my children will most likely attend public school still uh, yeah. if the Lord blesses me with a child because I know I'm not doing things to create them. Um, but um, you like that? You like that yeah. insight right there? Um, but yeah. It's, it's going to take a lot. Knowing what I know about you, it's, it's going to take a lot. lot. It's going to take a lot. <laughs> okay. But, um, but yeah, I, w- I would actually still, even with all of the hell that I just explained, I would still much, very much like my church to experience public school uh, because within the complex of the public school system, you find yourself in a lot of diverse situations. You find yourself um, getting to know people uh, that you otherwise would not be able to know uh, because of the naturalized segregation that, that sure. we occur. Um, because if I, if I send my child to a private school, that means that the children that are going to that school are coming from well-to-do families that they can afford it, first of all, or that they've received some type of scholarship, you know, because that is still an option yeah. to be a token. Um, but um, that made me think about South Park when I said token. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't laugh at that. I've never seen that show. You've never, no, no, neither of us. We've never heard of South Park. No. I've never convinced my mother to take me as a child to see South Park's first movie and then oh, meet wow. out the theater in five minutes. <laughs> You're going to have a bad time. He had no idea what it, what it was. I, I just told her it was a kid's movie. It was a cartoon. You're um, going to learn today. <laughs> we immediately left. <laughs> uh, but Hilarious. I think there, there are still some goods. While the system, okay, let me say it this way. The public school system as a organization is mm-hmm. a failure. However, there are still some fine teachers and students that exist within the public schools. Because if I'm correct, both of us went to public schools, right? Yeah. I I went to, uh, I I don't mind saying I went to Avondale, North Roebuck, WJ Christian. Uh, So you had, you know, not exactly the whitest part of towns. Yeah. And and then I graduated from Shades Valley. So, oh, this is going to be a huge diversion. Let me ask you this. Come on. Why, why is it that when you said that, that immediately you pointed out that it was not the most whitest part of town? Because well, that alludes to the fact that white people don't go to public school. And I, no, I, no, I no. with you. I, I'm, I'm not saying that because Mountain Brook's got public schools, Vestavia's got public schools, and, you know, traditionally, I mean, I would say Hoover, but, uh, you know, they've got a football team that they recruit for. Okay. So. Hoover, not pub- they're just public in name. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, those are public schools, yes, but they are public schools that are selective about the zip code of which they allow their students to. Uh, I, I'm with you. But, but to answer your question, um, having conversations like this, mm-hmm. one of the things that tends to work against me, uh, unfortunately, is my skin color. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to having discussions uh, that uh, revolve around the quote-unquote black experience. Mm-hmm. My upbringing is not all that different. I mean, I have a different skin tone, mm-hmm. but I went to not—I mean, not inner city. I wasn't going to school in downtown Birmingham, but Avondale's not far away. Yeah, yeah. Right? No- North Roebuck, um, 
you know, it's closed down now because it was one of those failing schools. And W.J. Christian, even though it had academic standards, I was not on that side of it. Like they had two different programs. And yeah. I, was, uh, I, I was not on the, you know, you got to be smart to be here kind of side. And yeah. it also was a theater school to Ramsey High School, which is much more of an inner city public school. Yeah. I mean, it's a magnet school. That we have. But, yeah. Um, but the only reason I didn't go to Ramsey is because at that point, my mom and also being raised by a single mother who didn't graduate college because she had me when she was a teenager. Sound familiar? Um, she, well, uh, yeah. well, right. But, you know, the, the experience of you know, yeah. growing up with, without much uh, uh-huh. and her and my stepdad moved to Irondale. And so we, we were zoned for Shades Valley. So in, in her eyes, the Jefferson County school system was more desirable, better than yeah. Birmingham. It's, it's like two, two piles of crap, but one sm- has been sitting a little while, so it doesn't smell quite as bad. It's like Flynn versus Trump. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Or let, let's be honest, just about just about every presidential election in our lifetime. Just no, no, because I won't let you say that because Gore ran in one of those. I, I'm including Gore. No, <laughs> not Gore. Oh, oh, it's because he invented the internet, right? You ain't gonna get out here on <laughs> internet. Al Gore created this for us. But no, I thank, like. Gore. Thank you, Al Gore, for this discussion we're having. Yes. Yes. So what's your, what's your next question? Are what you, is our I, next question? Where are we? Okay, yeah. So so this is my first kind of surprise question, uh, although uh, this is one, uh, the, the fourth one. We, we did, uh, I don't know if you meant to send me your fourth question or, uh, or not, but I went ahead and sent you this uh, in advance. Um, to get more specifically local um, when, when it comes to action steps, um, I my original question was, what are you know three to five action steps that you believe would be helpful in achieving the goals of a group like Alabama Rally Against Injustice? Or given that we've kind of diversified our topics a little bit, um, if, if there are other goals and associated groups that you would recommend, somebody like me, somebody like the average viewer that, that's looking on, what can, what can we do? To, to partner with you and, and help uh, achieve the goals that you're wanting to do? My answer for you is okay. exactly what you're doing. Being, okay. being open to having co- difficult conversations. Um, yeah. And I don't think there's an organization that I would immediately just recommend for a person that is looking to learn more or understand more about this cause. Not saying the organization can't, not saying that. What I'm saying is I think that everyone would benefit from getting to know another person on a personable level versus just going to an organization or going to a a, a protest or a rally. I think at that point, at the point that you find yourself at a protest or at a rally, you've gone to step three, when step one should be get to know a Black person. Or get to know a person of another race in yep. general. Um, that's why I find it hard to have friends that are persons of color, but they're not they're not black. Um, or I'll say it this way because I've already blocked a person and dismissed it for my life. 
I have a or I had a Asian friend who will just say week one expressed concern to me about leaving their home uh, when coronavirus took place because they were afraid that they will be mistreated. And there's uh, there's Miss Clinton uh, McClinton. She just joined. That's the uh, the deputy's mother. Hey, hey what's up? Um, but <laughs> um, but she expressed concern about leaving her home and fear for her safety and all of this. And then when all of the protests for Black Lives Matter and 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 police uh, reform took place, she immediately told me that, oh, I, don't, I just don't understand why you all are doing this. And then I tried. She was open to listen and learn. And I told her and she said, well, that's just stupid. And I immediately when we were done with that conversation, I knew that I no longer wanted her in my life um, because she was. Yes, yeah, she was willing to listen and to 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 see where where our frustration or consternation was birth, but she was unwilling to be sympathetic towards the cause. As a person, uh, as a as a PLC, I really expected better from her, given that just a few weeks earlier you had expressed concern for your own safety on just going to the grocery store because of the color of your skin and your your background. And here's yeah. the other thing: she was born here in America and felt that way, and feels that way, I should say. Um, yeah. I don't know how she feels today because, again, I blocked her. Did you block me too? Where'd you go? I'm coming. <laughs> Got to get a refill. Batteries. Ah. Uh, ah. Let's see how we can do this, because I don't want to get extension cord. Hopefully that's good enough. There we go. So, so while while you're doing that, uh, and and I appreciate the story, but. When, when it comes to maybe like the goals and action steps and things like that, mm-hmm. one of the things that dominated um, our first conversation was things like police brutality, criminal justice reform, things like that. Are those still, uh, and, and I'll just narrow it down, are those still the primary goals or are there other maybe tangential or auxiliary goals that come off of that uh, that you would like to focus on and highlight here to, to bring some attention to? First of all, I'm so happy that you asked that. Um, so in my opinion, as someone that does not belong to a certain group or organization, um, mm-hmm. I, I can only speak for myself. Those are still my goals. My goals are to make sure that this shirt does not get any longer than it has to be at this particular point. Um, and that includes police reform still. That includes police brutality. That also includes preventing voter su- uh, suppression, which is something that we had not okay. talked about before. Uh, because shortly after that particular, uh, our last discussion, um, we had a state, I can't re- remember offhand, but they chose to close various polling locations out of threat for coronavirus. But when they put it on the map, it was discovered that the, the locations they closed were in um, poorer neighborhoods. I say poorer neighborhoods, not black neighborhoods, because there are people of other races that live within those zip codes yeah. that were also affected. And that was that's Kentucky, I believe. They closed somewhere between ninety-three and ninety-seven percent of their polling locations statewide. Yeah, which I just, I just, that's another example of the color of law. Um, what they else are you going to get McConnell back in for? You know, an umpteenth term. Exactly, because he he has to get reelected. Um, I had a I had a thought. Uh, a, a former professor of mine actually just lost an election recently here within Jefferson County. And my next thought was immediately, well, what is he going to do now? 
where are you going to work at now? And that that is something that I think a lot of politicians, they make a career out of it. Yeah. Versus just getting in and adding their solutions or their fixes to the problems at hand and then going back to their original industry. I personally love politics. I could never see myself being a politician uh, because after I ran my term, I probably don't want to go back in office. I, that's that's not to say that things change because again, I love politics. You may see my name one day, and hopefully, you may be working at the polling place um, and see my name on on a ballot all day. I um, love doing it. Uh, I'll probably be there. But I just I can't see. Sorry, my dogs decided to run around now. Um, that's all right. But I just can't see my I can't see why politicians feel the need and the urge um, to run for a lifetime because that's how you get people embedded in your pockets and that's how you become indebted to corporations and organizations like the NRA. Mm -hmm. I love the NRA. I actually respect their organization, not saying I would join because I don't think I'm allowed to. Um, but you have people like that that are running for life. They're they're on a continuous election campaign. Even even Trump, he can only serve two years, two terms as president, but he's already he's been campaigning since the day after he won. And I just think that that takes away from your ability yeah. to be a, an effective leader and politician because you're still trying to kiss the rear ends of organizations so you can get money to run your next campaign. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and if you get into office, you know, let, let, let's see if you're willing to finish, uh, finish your term and go away if you had a chance to vote yourself a raise. Exactly. <laughs> I, I still don't understand how people are, are able to do that. I think I want to say Birmingham did that once before. The city council, council voted to give themselves just a raise. Once? Well, that, I, that I'm aware of. But, and I just, I, to me, that, that's something that should be on the ballot. Well, that they, they, they uh, as the city council, they're in charge of the budget. If they want to move a little bit more over here, that's a budgetary thing. It that it is. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm I'm with you on that. That's right. Yeah, I would definitely. This is one of the few things I'd probably take from Trump's presidency. I would have to refuse my pay. There you go. I'd look at that. Tate would Tate would follow the example set by Donald J. Trump. Put a big asterisk behind that. Oh, big <laughs> one. <laughs> but, but I just I feel like, or actually, let me say it that way, because that what you just said actually may be a, a solution to my problem. Politicians shouldn't be paid. Oh. How about that? I'm, Let's see how quickly you can get your 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 city and your your state and your your nation mm -hmm. together if you're not getting paid. Hmm. Let's see how quickly you can. That's that's juicy. That, yeah. That's nice. I still don't understand how we have, and correct me if I'm wrong, I still don't understand how Congress, who's voting on health care measures, gets lifetime health care. You, your health care is already taken care of, but so you don't care about my health care. Right. You you don't care. Cause and, you're, you're, and, you're, and that's you're, how we get the ruling class and then everybody else. Yeah. The middle class is a lie. Um, there's another book title for you. I feel like I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> the middle class is a lie because you 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 have people. I actually just had this discussion with a former employee of mine um, at a at a, a 
previous employer, they had a discussion about, they, well, they just asked me just candidly why I made a certain decision on their pay when they were hired. And I told them, just to be honest, that decision was not mine to make. I was told that that was my decision by someone just like when I got the job. They were told that my pay was going to be $20,000 less than what the starting pay was for the position. Now, I accepted it because it was still more money than I was making, but that decision was made. And that decision, funny, funny, uh, funny enough, was made after I did the interview. Mm. You like that? Yeah. So, well, actually, I don't, but yeah. Exactly. Uh, after the interview, you know, that job went from making almost $80,000 downward real quick. And I was selected for the role. I was actually reached out to and told, hey, we went ahead and took that position down, but we put another one out there for you. I want you to go ahead and apply within 10 minutes of applying. How much lower it would have dropped if you were a woman? Oh, wait, no, sorry. I shouldn't okay, have so here's, here's my experience. <laughs> Actually, I had this discussion, that discussion yesterday with my mother. Oh, I boy. Have a lot of females that I've helped get on places or that have replaced me in various roles that actually make more money than I do. Yep. I know a lot of them that have, that have I, I've yet to come across, I'll say it this way, I've yet to come across a female that's replaced me that's made less money than me. Ooh. I've yet, and I've worked Ooh. for four major leaders in their industry. So so one of those other other goals is the gender pay gap, but not what you would think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, oh. I, I think that, A, I'll say it this way, because I've always been the younger person in the workplace, even mm -hmm. when we work together. Um, wait, because I think we're we're the same age. I think. No, I'm an old man. You're older than me. I don't know. How old are you? How old you are you? Say, do you want to say publicly? Well, you know, I don't share my age. Well, yeah. Here's the funny part: I don't share my age because people always treat me as a as a child. Um, I'll say this: I graduated high school in '08. Okay. Yeah, I graduated high school before that. <laughs> but anyway. I'm but still from the New Shades Valley, so we'll we'll, we'll go that. Okay, all right. There, there's a range. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm with you though because age discrimination is a thing. It that is. really happens. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you. But let let's be honest. Even though you're younger than me, you've got your masters. I do not. So I mean, even with age differences, there's educational differences there, and the balance goes both ways. Yeah. Well, that's paper. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's paper, but it gets your foot in the door. You'd be surprised. <laughs> oh boy! All right, all right. So that was that was my fourth question. So you've got one more surprise question for me. I've got one more for you, and then we'll open it up for uh, any anybody who's still watching. Bless your heart uh, to uh, ask questions or jump in on the conversation. So, what you got, Tate? So, if just before we do this. Um, our, our fourth question is usually a question that we reserve and we do not um, share until it's live. Um, <laughs> so there is an interesting show called Crackers. Oh, no. We're coming out that, dis that depicts um, the early days of America with the racial, racial roles being switched. Oh. Yes. So if you've not heard about it, I'm personally not going to watch it because I'm tired. I'm kind of burned out on slave movies. No matter who the slave is, let my people free. Um, yep. But how do you think America would be today had the roles been reversed? 
had Caucasians been forced or Europeans at that point been forced oh, wow. to be the slave and the then I don't even know if you would still say African Americans. Um, well, I guess we would still come from Africa. Yeah. This would have come from Europe. So you'd have been a uh, Europe American. Uh, but how do you think that the uh, Africans wow. handled slavery? Yeah, so I, I think uh, one of the things that would have had to precede it, because when we talk about the age of exploration and the rise of technology and, and the scientific discoveries that led to uh, colonizing the Americas, um, was brought really out of Europe, uh, specifically Christian Europe and, and the West. So there would have had to have been that move from the African continent. So we would have had to see um, this growth and development of Christianity within specifically sub-Saharan Africa. But, I mean, we can include like Egypt and Libya and, and some of the northern African they had their own slaves. Do what? They had their own slaves. Right. But I mean, you know, when we think of um, colonial America, the slaves typically came from Western Africa, sub-Saharan. So that's, that's where I'm focusing. So if we're going to do a total role reversal, the foundations of the exploration would have had to start in that same area. So you would have had to see an explosion and a, and a cultivation of Christianity, of science, of technology there. Um, that would have prompted the uh, citizens of Africa to go out west, to go find, uh, you know, either you know the the, the quickest route to to the spice uh, to the spices of the of uh, the Far East, um, you know, and possibly may have even found uh, quicker ones uh, out out east, going across the uh, Indian Ocean there, but. Um, you know, there would have been a, a total role reversal, but knowing what we know about humanity, knowing what we know about our proclivity to sin, regardless of uh, your theological bend, I think it's uh, perfectly reasonable to assert that um, relationally, we would still have brokenness because Anytime you dehumanize another group of people for any reason, you are setting up boundaries that are going to exist for generations. I mean, there's a reason why people our age have issues with police, and that's because our parents, our grandparents, and sometimes even our great-grandparents remember vividly fire hoses being turned on people who look like them. Mm-hmm. And, and even not just the, the, the shared aspect of that, but our, our grandparents and our great-grandparents' generation remember were alive when Asian-Americans were interned in American camps. So, I mean, that, that's not even talking about a black-white thing. Mm-hmm. That's talking about our own government looking at other Americans and saying, nope, we need you together here so we can keep an eye on you. Right. And so there's a tendency for humanity to do that, period. And, and I think we've seen that throughout all of human history. Um, there's slavery is the norm throughout human history. What made America so unique is that there was an abolishing of slavery. There was a turning away from that. 
It was painful. It took a while. But slavery exists right now across the globe where slavery has been wiped out, at least explicitly and systemically, mm-hmm. has been in the Christian, uh, Christian civilizations. And so that, that goes back to a you know, fundamental disagreement that we have. But if we are not going into discussions about reconciliation, about society, about justice, with our strongest weapon being the revelation of God himself, then we are setting ourselves up for failure before we even start. It's like we're going into a sword fight, but we've got our sword in its sheath. We need to pull that sucker out. And if somebody says, I don't believe in that sword, that, that sword's incorrect, then whatever they're using against you, cut it in half and go, how about now? Do you believe in it now? How, do you, how, do you, how effective it can be. Look, open your eyes. How do you do that as a Christian? Because I, I get, I get, I get your, your, your analogy and your parable there, but how, yeah. as a Christian, how can you go out and we'll just say, let's pick a random religion to pick on. We'll say Scientology. How do you go out and how do you go out and cut that in half and and pull in that that uh, that that person that belongs to the Church of Science? How do you pull them in and and show them or share with them the Word of God in its original print and get their buy-in at the same time, telling them, "Hey, can you not be racist?" <laughs> well, okay, so. Uh, there's a couple different things there. And, and so with Scientology, it's a little bit different because I don't have as much experience with them. So I'm not going to be able to pull from specific n- knowledge or experiences that I have. But fundamentally, um, w- what's the topic of, of discussion? Is it racism? Okay, what does Scientology have to say about racism and why? And part of that's going to be what Scientology has to say about who people are, who humanity is. Part of it's going to uh, be an understanding of who God is, and part of it's going to be an understanding of how humanity became broken. So in a biblical framework, we've got God, we've got man, and we've got sin. And so looking at these other worldviews, something like Scientology, how can you explain God, man, and the brokenness that we see that we would call sin? And just like Jesus said, uh, he who builds uh, builds his house on the rock, the words that I've spoken, the truth of God. It's like a man who builds his house upon the rock, and the other, uh, the foolish man builds his house on the sand. And when the storms come, the one that's built on the sand is going to get washed away. So you point out the foundation, and, and it's going to look different depending on the person, depending on the belief. But you walk them to the foundation, and you go, "This is where your cracks are. You don't have rock as your foundation; you have sand." You bring that storm that washes away their explanation and you point them to the house that's built on the rock and say, this is where you want to go. I guess I, I hate to go back and use the same situation. That's okay. I guess, I guess you could garner more support from me mm-hmm. in that extent if the oxymoron of a racist Christian did not exist. Well, I, I think it's some... In uh, a particular understanding, it does not. It, it is there's a a fault that we have. I can reach out and touch. There are professed Christians who are racist. 
but insofar as you are racist, quote unquote, you are in opposition to the truth of God. And that's so not, that's not how they interpret it. I, well, I don't care how you interpret it. That's mm-hmm. where we as Christians are set to come before. And this is what I said you know, at the beginning of this dialogue is first and foremost for Christians, I want you to be consistent. So if you're going to profess that Christ is your savior and profess somehow that somebody that looks different from you from another ethnicity or another nationality is somehow inferior or superior, recognize that that's not what Jesus says. Right. Recognize that on the last, on the, the supper of the lamb in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, there are going to be people from every nation, tribe and tongue. That person you hate because they look different than you or they sound different from you or they speak a different language than you. Guess what? They have every right to that table as you do. And if you're going to put them out, you might as well go out with them because you have no place there. You're adding to the finished work of Jesus Christ. You're, you're saying that Christ is not enough. You also have to be this. You also have to be this ethnicity, this nationality, and that's extra biblical. And as Christians, we ought to be corrected by the word of God. And where we are presented with that, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, may our heart be open and enlightened to that. And may we, may we repent of the sin of racism, of ethnocentrism, of tribalism, whatever you want to call it. But that's how it's going to happen. And just like we need to bring the word out there, we need the word in the church too. And that's, that's where it comes. So if you have somebody who's professing to be a Christian, point them at their own book. Show them where they are mistaken. And okay. Before they come back. Given that, mm-hmm. I can't think of another word. We're in my wheelhouse now, brother. This yeah. apologetics and evangelism, this, this is what I do. Given that, you are a better or you're better equipped to help guide people back to to religion and i i admittedly am a horrible um i was not called to be in the church i was not called to work in the church i was called to be out in the community talking to everyday people um we as We've discussed during this whole week of planning this. I've been doing nothing but out here servicing the community and trying to help people with various issues. I was a whole mechanic this morning. Um, But if that is your specialty, and I'm not saying you in particular, but if there are Caucasian Christians that that is your specialty as a black person, what I'm asking of you is can you do a better job of ensuring that you don't or that we don't or that I don't? have to interact with people that are both Christian and racist. Because everything you just said, I believe in. Everything mm-hmm. I'm talking about, all of it, I was waiting on you to throw in in about uh, the, the hundred sheep, one got lost. I was waiting on you to throw that in. I'm with you wholeheartedly on that. But what my issue is, there, there are people in your community that mm-hmm. need to hear that message. And yeah. The fact that they've not heard that message or they, they've not leaned into that message is why you have a growing distance, a distance with religion and younger people. Yeah, yeah. So so, so to that, I, I would say two things. One, you yourself get steeped in the word. So when you have this conversation with somebody who professes Christianity and professes racism at the same time, you are more empowered in that moment 
to correct them by the word of God. So but you can come to them and say, so, okay, go ahead. Asking, you're under, I want to make sure you understand what you're, you're asking, because it, it doesn't seem like a big ask. I, I, I agree. But what you're asking me to do as a, as a human being is to speak to someone that has elevated themselves to a false level above me and convince right. them that we're actually on equal playing field. That, that's, that's just like a slave telling his slave master that, hey, I don't think your plan's a good idea. I think you should probably go with this plan. Even though that plan, the plan that the slave mm -hmm. is promoting may be the best plan, it may be the correct plan, it may be the best. Do you really think that that slave is going to be rewarded for mm -hmm. telling that slave master what to do? That, yeah. That's okay. my point of view. Okay, that, that's fair. And so, so with that, um, perhaps this would practically would help. Ask questions. So even if you don't have the biblical understanding to come to maybe be offensive with your approach, just ask questions and say, okay, so I hear what you say about this, that you know, I, I am subordinate because of my skin color. As a Christian, where do you see that in Scripture? Help me understand, because I profess the same Christ you do. Mm -hmm. you know, whether we do or not, let, let's just say for, for the sake of argument, mm -hmm. we profess Christ as our Lord and Savior. Show me where his book, his revelation to us justifies that belief. And see what they have to say. So I'm I'm am I'm, I'm a learn you something. To borrow a phrase from my stepdad, I'm a learn you something. Learn me something. I love you, learning. Earlier in this discussion on this particular video, you mentioned that we we learn things about the police from our older generation. Yeah. So I've learned from my older generation that when you get around a person that's like that, you need to physically and quickly distance yourself from them because when we've had those discussions in the past they typically ended up with people like me dead well and okay so if there is a threat to your life i'm not going to say put yourself in mortal danger so if ideally what i've said before would be the case so if you can engage with this person verbally mm -hmm. do that to the best of your ability yeah if there is a threat to your life right or if you perceive that Mm -hmm. But what I would say is introduce them to somebody like me. Mm -hmm. Send them my way. I will be happy to look a white supremacist in the face and tell them that their beliefs are unchristian and spit in the face of the Savior they profess. I have no problem doing that because it needs to be said. Our sin needs to be addressed. And if, if you can't do it because of legitimate concern for your, your safety and well-being— Mm -hmm. Send them to me, and as a brother in Christ, I will do that for you because they need to be called out. And so that's, no that's, what, that's what I'm asking. That's see, that's yeah. the answer that I'm looking for. Is I want to know that if you encounter someone, we'll say, and I could have his name wrong, but Pastor Chris Hodges, is, yep. that, is that the church I'm talking about? Church, uh, Six Flags Over Jesus. Yeah, Six Flags okay. Over Jesus, um, where they have more ATMs than they have. Never mind. Go flip the tables at the a coffee shop in there. Yeah. No. Uh, my, uh, yeah, I, we haven't talked about this a whole lot, I don't think, but my objections with Church of the Highlands are, are numerous and uh, well-documented in, in certain areas of the, the internets. Uh, but I, I will say thank you. Uh, thank with you. confidence that racism is not a problem with Church of the Highlands. 
-hmm. specifically because, and I'm going to be delicate with my words here. Okay. But in my experience, and for those who don't know, I was a member of Church of the Highlands for about two to three years. Bless your heart. We sat under his teaching as well as other teachings. I, I co-led and participated in uh, wow. their Bible study groups or, or you know, their small groups. Uh, no, no real Bible being studied uh, for the most part. That said, the church as a whole, the organization, is not doctrinally rigid enough to be able to affirm something like racism. They are, you may have heard of the term evangelic or mm -hmm. evangelifish instead mm -hmm. of evangelicals. That's mm -hmm. e professed evangelicals who have no backbone, who have no spine, who get into the culture and go, okay, whatever, whatever you say, because they've taken their Bible, they've taken their sword and they've put it in the sheath and they're up there going, I've got nothing to, to bring to the table. So whatever you say, that's where Church of the Highlands is. That, and that's the problem that a lot of churches have. It's not unique to Church of the Highlands, but. Um, with the the issues that, that are there, I have a hard time believing that they are racist, not just because of my experience, but because of their actions. Uh, well, I, I certainly don't think that the institution itself is racist. I, I as someone that's never attended them, I, I still don't believe they're racist because, believe it or not, most of the people that have tried to or have invited me to their services, they've actually been black. I always, I was always raised to believe that it was a uh, a predominantly Caucasian church, but I've never been invited to Church of the Highlands by someone that was not a person of color. Um, yeah. I think more so that the that the the essence of what I'm getting at here is the the words and the social media actions of their their the leader of their flock. Because that in that same I could easily say that all Christians are racist because I know a Christian that is racist. That's not yeah. true. Yeah, when you start talking about individuals within a congregation, uh, we're all sinners, right? Yeah. And we all are going to be sanctified, um, you know, God willing, um, in different ways, right? There's going to be sin exposed in my life that's mm -hmm. not exposed in somebody else's life. So that there's going to be sin that I have to deal with 20 years from now that the Holy Spirit's not dealing with me now. Mm -hmm. so, you know, so for some, yeah, there may be some racism, but yeah. for, for those people, they may have some more pressing sin right now, right? They, they, may, they may have, you know, sexual sin, for example, that's more detrimental to them uh, in their spiritual walk. And so the Holy Spirit's dealing with that first. They may have relational sin with their own family that needs to be dealt with before you can, you know, address relationships outside of, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I, I want to push back on the idea that because there are hypocrites in the congregation, that should reflect negatively on the church. Quite the opposite. Having people in the congregation who can go to the sermon, listen to the sermon, feel convicted from the sermon, and be changed by the Word of God, praise God that there's a place like that there. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we see that in churches all over the place. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've heard this uh, a lot, and, and I firmly believe this. You won't find a perfect congregation, a perfect church to join. And if you do find it, don't join it, because as soon as you do, it's no longer perfect. Mm -hmm. I've heard that. I've, I've, actually, yeah. I've actually heard that in um, 
in a sermon. I've actually heard that before in a sermon. Because I, I, I'm on the road at a mega church. I don't attend them because I'm having uh, issues with a lesson that was taught years ago. But I still do very much love my church and my church family mm-hmm. and my pastor. Um, I just had a minor disagreement with some financial um, recommendations, we'll say. Because um, right. I believe in being a cheerful giver, and if I'm not cheerful, don't force me to be cheerful. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. But, yeah, so that's that's our, our little tangent on uh, Christianity. I don't remember religion. I think that that was the question. Um no, and actually, at this point, I, I forget what, what the original question was. I'm glad we got off on the Yeah. So, uh, d- did I answer your question to your satisfaction? Sure. Did I answer your <laughs> question? <laughs> well, I haven't asked. I got one more. I got one more. Okay, since good. Our, since our last conversation, you know, there, there were some areas of disagreement. Um, so, it's two-parter. One, has your mind changed? in any way and if so what and two after that conversation and now having gone through this conversation are there any areas that you would hope my mind has been changed and if so 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 i I need clarification on the first part is there any particular subject that you're asking about or just overall our discussion just uh, overall the discussion anything that we talked about in the first discussion have have you thought about that in that context of the conversation and then now You've moved one direction or another. I'll say I'll say this. One thing that I definitely took away from our initial conversation and even even our current conversation is to be very selective about how and who you align yourself with in terms of an organization, Um, because you actually, believe it or not, taught me some things about a certain organization that I was not aware of. Um, I was not a member of either. But um, your your your. I was going to say your lecture, your sharing of that, of their beliefs help, help confirm that I did not want to become an official member of their organization while I do still support some of their actions. Um, and, and the second part uh, about what, what do I hope that you took away from it? I just hope that, and I hate to say this because it's going to sound like I'm only going to the last thing we talked about, but I, it's a real big part. But that's why it was one of my last questions is I'm hoping that you and other Caucasian Christians that may be listening to us on Facebook or on the podcast, that they understand that persons of color, particularly Christian persons of color, still do face racism from other people of, of, of Christian uh, or other Christians that yeah. may be of the Caucasian descent. And we need your help and support in helping to reshape their mind because if they're already looking at me as one third of a person, then how can they, how can I expect them to ultimately just say, yeah, you know what? You've changed my mind there, boy, about God and stuff. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I appreciate your accurate portrayal of how, how they sound. That, that is how most sound, not all, um, because I have some good self-described rednecks as friends and they are some of the, the nicest the nicest people. I had this discussion earlier with a member of the LGBT community and he uh, saw me and another friend hanging out and and he wanted to know, was I safe? And I was like, why would you ask me if I'm safe? 
Actually, I'll give you one better. I have a friend okay. named Brandon that lives in a small town in Tennessee. Okay. When he came to see me and we were out in Birmingham, he noticed that a lot of other black people were making direct eye contact with me and kind of giving like the nod. Um, a lot of white people may not know this, but when you see another black person that's out with a white person or in a white group, we typically will visually and mentally, telepathically even, check mm -hmm. in with that black person in that group to make sure you're all right, you're good. And so he actually began, after he questioned me about it, he began to take notice. And it, it was it was so humorous to me that he actually shared that with his family that, can you believe that when me and Kendall are out and about, other black people are making sure that he's okay? And it's 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 for that same reason that that I believe that we need more Christian, Caucasian Christians to help reach across to your fellow Caucasian Christian brothers and sisters and making sure that they understand that if you really believe that book that you read from, that you'll treat every man as your equal mm -hmm. and hold each other above. But that's all I got to say. Um, my ride is now actually here. My chariot awaits. So. Oh, okay. So you got to go. Yes. You, you, you can't answer questions from, from the group. I can't. I can't, unfortunately. Oh, man. Like we don't really actually have any questions here because, as I mentioned, I've kept the window open. Okay. Uh, so we actually don't even have questions out there. But I definitely want to do this again. Um, and hopefully we, we could just meet in person so we can avoid um, these technical glitches and we could just meet in person and do this. Okay. If you'll bring nine COVIDs, I'll bring the other 10 so we can have 19. Is there a reason I get, I get to bring less than you? Is it because my family had a 400-year uh, setback. All right, you know what? You bring 419 COVIDs, and I'll take 400 of them away. I'm part Native American. I don't like the implications of you taking a thing from me. As am I. I'm moving to Manhattan, planting my flag, and taking our land back. Jesus! <laughs> All right, well, again, I thank you so much for allowing me to participate in today's dialogue. And I hope that any and all of my friends and followers, family members, check out the podcast that Wes is the host of. Make sure that you like and subscribe to his Facebook page. And thank you all for listening to my annoying voice. I'll go ahead and turn this over to Wes so he can go ahead and close out as I skedaddle. Brother, thank you very much, Tate. It was great. Um, I will. Uh, we can go ahead and disconnect the, the Skype call. Okay. Take care. Have a good weekend. Uh, be on the lookout for it in your feed. Go ahead, subscribe to it. You know you want to.